Hello, everyone. Welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, David Rowlands, and I'm joined today at Turn Mill Studios in Farringdon by Dan O'Hara, who is the Marketing Director at Supply Chain Finance Platform, Demica. So, Dan, welcome to Mission Control. How are you today? Yeah, I'm very good. Thanks for having me, Dave. Excited to do this. Yeah, and this is your first time in a professional sort of podcast setup, I hear? It is. It's, it's very exciting. We've got headphones on and everything. Yeah, that's a sign of true, true professional uh, professionalism, <laughs> if you can get headphones. <laughs> Um, so, you know, we're going to talk about a whole host of things today, including your, your move to Demeca, uh, some of your challenges in the role, some of the big opportunities, um, a bit about brand. But before we talk about all of that, I just want to learn, you know, a bit more about your career in B2B to date. So can you perhaps, perhaps just sort of tell us how you got started and, you know, some of your core values as a marketer? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, so I've been in marketing about 13 years now, which you know, it makes me feel a little bit old. I used to think I was this sort of hip upstart, but um, as I was referencing Oasis before we started, I think that's, that's starting to make me feel a little bit dated. Um, so 13 years ago, I finished my master's in marketing mm-hmm. um, and uh, started, went straight into B2B. Uh, my first year or two was with uh, a development agency. So sort of a charity working with uh, farmers in Africa and then sort of made a bit of a sharp turn into the world of finance, fintech, um, sort of SaaS platforms. So I've been at a few places, started a finance trade body called the CISI, and then uh, moved around a couple of places, S&P Global, Standard & Poor's, uh, is quite a sort of well-known brand, then Thomson Reuters, which went through a couple of rebrands and have now ended up at Demica. So that's been about 10, 11 years in in the world of sort of finance and fintech marketing. Fantastic. So often when I uh, speak to people on the B2B marketing podcast, it, their big move is kind of going from you know, a smaller organization where they've made a, a big impact and then they move to a much larger organization and, you know, get the nice big salary that often goes with that. Um, you know, in your case, though, you know, you've moved from an industry juggernaut, Refinitiv, um, to Demica, who are, you know, much smaller, but still an award winning um, platform. So, you know, tell me what actually attracted you to Demica in the first place and where do you think you have the biggest opportunity to actually make an impact? So, I mean, I think the word that you actually used at the end of that sentence, impact, if if I was going to define my what drives me and what's pushed me in my career to make the decisions I have, it's that desire to feel like I'm making an impact. And you're right, at a big organisation, there's a huge number of opportunities. Being at, So you reference Refinitiv, which I didn't describe in my intro, but Refinitiv was the company that was span out of to- the Thomson Reuters group as the sort of financial market data powerhouse, as you say. It was about, uh, ended up being uh, bought by London Stock Exchange Group for about $27 billion. Uh, it was about 16,000 people, so massive organisation. And being within a marketing team there and leading a small team within the, that 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 bigger function, um, I certainly learned a lot. And being part of the rebrand from the part of the Thomson Reuters group to this carve out Refinitiv, that was certainly a point in my career where I felt like, gosh, I'm really making an impact. But I spent about four or five years there, and you know, I think I learned a huge amount. And by the tail end of my career, I think. I was sort of facing, uh, frustration might be too strong a word, but uh, I think an emotion that a lot of people who've worked in big corporates will be familiar with, which is a sense that I'm part of a big machine. Mm. There's a lot of sort of, we're a very matrixed organization. There are some barriers to real 
improvement, development, and maybe I'm not delivering to my full potential. And I think it was, you know, when I, I was going through a period of really, really effective coaching at that point. And so I played out some of these thoughts with with my coach and and um, the output of it really that I came to the realization myself was, well, you could you can continue at, at Refinitiv and in all likelihood you sort of play the, the game, you, you, you work hard and you will continue to um, progress. But if you're feeling like this, if you're feeling like you've got a real skill set and you think you know how to apply it, then have a look at businesses where where you'd have a good you know product market fit almost where mm. where you, what you're really good at what you really want to do will is exactly what the business needs and that and that's how you'll make a big impact and that was sort of what precipitated the shift to Demica a realization that what I was really good at would be I have a really clear idea of how I think marketing should work sort of almost operationally and so I needed to find a business where they 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 wanted to stand up a marketing function so they they almost had a blank sheet of paper and they needed someone to say this is how you do this mm-hmm. and 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 i think that you know to sort of circle back to your point that was the feeling that if i go here i think i can make a big impact brilliant and so how did you actually or how have you been um going about sort of building that marketing team and function at demica what how did you get started and what were some of the challenges along the way so i mean i I was in a fortunate position when I joined, which was that, you know, in recruiting me, the business was, uh, you know, actively making a decision that they wanted to build a more strategic marketing function. So as part of my first few months, it was doing an analysis of the market, doing an analysis of what the sort of business situation was, understanding our value proposition, understanding the commercial long-term strategy, and then basically saying, well, okay, in order to get to here commercially, in order to get to here as a business, this is the function you need. And we didn't start massive. I I built out um, a proposal for a team of four people initially, sort of split out really by a couple of people focused on our two key customer types. So sort of go deep into customer marketing, and a couple of people focused on marketing sort of specialisms. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, one person focused on digital and one person focused on content. And really sort of by pairing those two, I think we had a good sort of baseline, you know, and and we built the team a little bit further since, but a good baseline for for the sort of skill sets you need to, to stand up a function. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't wish to speculate, but I can only imagine that when you do move to a smaller company, you often don't have the same budget to work with. Um, the flip side, of course, is that you have quite a bit more flexibility at those companies and you have more sort of say in, in where that money can go. And ultimately, you can just get things moving a bit faster. Um, so with those restrictions and advantages in mind, where are you actually focusing your marketing efforts this year? So that's a there's a lot in that question. That's a, <laughs> yeah, that's, a, <laughs> that's a good question. I think on the budget point, you're right. You know, I have less budget now. I mean, uh, uh, so to take to sort of do a bit of a comparison at Refinitiv, I was managing a team was heading up UKI marketing. So that was a team of uh, five of us. Um, and uh, at Demica, my team is now seven, um, soon to be eight of us. Um, and we probably have, I would say, a quarter of the marketing budget I had to play with uh, mm. uh, at Refinitiv. And additionally, at Refinitiv, we had, as well as the marketing budget that I ran, we had a bunch of supporting functions where we didn't need to allocate budget in the way I need to at uh, uh, Demica because, you know, at uh, Refinitiv, we had a 
design team. So we didn't mm. need to pay agencies for design. We had a PR function, so we didn't need to pay for PR. So all of those other pieces were covered. So in reality, just to specifically on the budget point, yeah, I think, and for anyone sort of thinking about that move, that transition from a very large organization to a smaller one, that is something you really have to consider that your your amount of resource is going to be probably get much tighter. Um, the second part of your question was more about, well, then where do we where do we focus in terms of with that budget that we do have? And I think, I mean, to, to, to look very big picture, it's about going back to the the same ways in which we we planned out the structure of the team. So say, well, what are the commercial objectives? What are the business objectives for the next? year two years three years and uh, you know and this is something i was talking to the ceo about recently i think sometimes marketers are a bit potentially some can be hesitant to ask for those numbers from the cfo from the ceo and and sometimes you you might feel like you're building a strategy in a bit of a not in a vacuum but with with imperfect knowledge mm. so and and that can really weaken the the quality of of the of your sort of of the strategy you prepare so we we went to the ceo found out what the commercial strategy was and then using our understanding of the market the customers where they played and understanding of b2b marketing best practices we allocated resource against those so a, a, an obvious one which well two obvious ones which we went to um when i joined demica were um the website mm -hmm. which is our major source of inbound leads and there were two big issues with the website. So um, it was it, its UI and its 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 general look and feel mm. was poor, and the user journeys through the website were quite poor. The the lack there was a real lack of presence of customer on the website. You know, so there was sort of a almost a, 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 a I, I would call it like a, a design, a look and feel a, that that element of the website was needed um, quite a lot of investment in fixing. And then there was an SEO element to the website, which is more like we could see the data that organic traffic was the highest quality traffic and uh, traffic to the website was the greatest, the strongest source of inbound leads, which converted to opportunities at the highest quality. So you could do a bit of working back to say, hence SEO, organic traffic, really important and has a direct link to uh, commercial long-term commercial success so there was the website and we rebuilt the website and um, and are working with a, an SEO agency to have been working with them for about a year now to drive uh, progressive um, uh, results in relation to our, our search rankings and our organic traffic so that was a big one and then the other one that I'd really call out and again this won't be a surprise I think to any uh, b2b marketers listening but just content content is super important and when I joined the business, we didn't have anything even resembling a content strategy. They had a blog page where they posted blogs and those were fine. And they also had some data which they'd started pulling out of the platform, but hadn't really worked out what mm. to do with it. And I think, you know, the, my sort of the gift I had was that, well, actually, the stuff that was going into the blogs was genuinely really insightful like the business has some like proper subject matter experts people with decades of experience in this stuff at, at the very senior levels of banks of big institutions so real proprietary insights so that was great and we've turned that into 
mixture of, you know, yes, blogs, but yes, gated content, yes, SME profile building, you know, videos. So just building out our content engine and, you know, turning that into guides and case studies. And then the other thing, you know, again, a gift was that this data that they didn't really know what to do with that they were pulling out of the platform. Uh, I, won't, I don't want to go into too much detail, but just to give a brief explanation, the platform essentially processes um, billions of dollars worth of um, transactions, basically B2B sales mm -hmm. from businesses, um, and those flow through the platform. And, and it's part of a supply chain finance mechanism. But what the, what the platform has then is basically data on business sales. So what you can do with that data is take it and segment it um, by industry and say okay on a month-on-month -month basis or on a quarter-on-quarter -quarter basis this is whether this industry is up down in terms of sales and and how it's comparing against a, a benchmark so a, a bit of a I mean it's really a leading indicator of like sort of GDP by sector mm. um so hugely interesting hugely interesting to our key audiences of banks and large corporates but also interesting to the analysts out there interesting to consultancies um so like rich but they didn't know what to do with it so we've turned that into our sort of flagship series of content and again we translate that into all the sort of channels that you want to so pr uh videos webinars written content podcasts inf infographics <laughs> well actually podcast is, is one that still <laughs> we're not doing but uh is 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 on the is on the maybe list um so um, but I've heard the podcast space, you know, there's some good competitors out there. So I'm, I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> um, I, but yeah, so, so th those were really key sources and, uh, uh, of content. So uh, just to recap, I think the website was where we invested quite a lot and then sort of almost turning what was already there into investing behind the, 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 the assets we already had to make that content really valuable and really sing and really return for us. Yeah. So you've built this you know, great content strategy. You're working with an SEO agency. You're bringing people to the new, well, the newly designed uh, site, which is obviously much just easier to navigate for the user. How are you, if you are able to, how are you sort of translating that traffic into growth for the business? Or is that something that's almost too difficult to do? So, I mean... So I think there's there's what I think in what's in your question is a question about well tell me uh, tell me if I'm wrong but I think you're sort of talking about the connection between all the good stuff we're doing and uh, can we connect that are we attributing that to revenue yeah. um, and I, that's one of my sort of um, not pet peeves but but one of my one of my sort of soapbox points at the moment is my view on attribution is that. In general, it's done very poorly. Um, so, I think what, as as generally as B two B marketers, we need to um, get better at is understanding where we want to use attribution models and where we just want to show measurement models. Because, like, I think uh, an important thing to to for, for throughout my career has been, you know. Um, demonstrating the value of marketing as an outcome driven function as a as a commercial function not not a cost center you know a revenue generator so there's a there is a real importance in in associating marketing activity to leads opportunities and and through to revenue and we have pretty strong models to do that so like i said the website is re a really obvious one where you can draw mm. a really nice link between 
organic traffic, through to um, through to website visits, through to leads, th- conversion to opportunities, and then we know the ratio that those opportunities convert to close one deal. So your 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 lineage there, as long as you're sort of uh, tagging it all in the right way and creating campaign codes and doing all the good sort of operational stuff that you need to, is is pretty strong. But to take the other example that I talked about, I talked about SEO and I talked about content, I think you have to be clever as a marketer not to say, we're going to measure the success of this webinar, podcast, you know, um, uh, white paper on revenue. Mm. Because to do that is really, um, I think, reductive of the value that marketing brings more broadly. And like, I have I've had this I had this conversation with our management team actually on Monday but like it's so funny because intuitively I think everyone knows particularly for complex buying decisions whether those are in a B2B context or just you know buying a car or a watch or whatever um it you don't do something just because of one thing that you've yeah. seen you do it and everyone understands that whether you're a marketer or not you do it because of a long build-up of information a decision journey that you go on not just you know a neat marketing funnel but a sort of complex back and forth of multiple interaction points and i think the important thing that marketers have to if you're pitching for budget or trying to invest in the right areas you have to make sure you're making the case that yes that sort of straightforward lineage model of you know, action to leads to opportunities to revenue is important to show because it shows you're thinking that way. But it's also important to make the case for all this other stuff, which we can't necessarily measure in terms of direct ROI, but we can still show measurement, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can still show number of, uh, you know, signups to your to your report, number of uh, amount of attendance to your webinar, number of people l- logging into your podcast, logging into your podcast. <laughs> Showing your age again. <laughs> uh, the number of people uh, subscribing, there we go, to your podcast. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, that there's there's ways to show that. And then you can also find out who is and are they part of your ICP or your target market or whatever. So there's, there's ways you can show value beyond the pure, like, e- equals this much revenue. Yeah. And I think we've seen a big sort of, not res- well, yeah, I guess a resurgence in sort of interest in brand over the last year. I mean, our um, Ignite USA conference last year focused entirely on brand. Um, and it seemed that the sense was that marketers were, for, for a long time, were starting to get pigeonholed into the sort of lead gen department. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden there's a, not a realisation, I think they knew it anyway, but a, just a, a determination to start focusing on brand again, which is, again, you know, a notoriously difficult thing to do because how can you prove the the return on it it's a very hard thing to do and it's not always a, a linear thing is there is there any way you're able to kind of at least track your brand or is it something you you almost have to have a leap of faith with so, i mean it's a good question and you're right the, the, it's been really interesting as, as someone who i was saying to you but you know before um they the 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 a bit of a marketing nerd so sort of listening to the zeitgeist in podcasts and around sort of the marketing fields of this transition from performance marketing to brand creative um and you see how it sort of percolates in the in the environment um i think the job as marketers is to make sure we're not just 
you know, talking to ourselves about it and yeah. making sure that it's actually that's percolating outwards to to our, our, our stakeholders across business, because that's my worry sometimes that we've all got very excited about, you know, the B2B Institute or, you know, uh, System One's research or whatever. And it's uh, we're all talking about, oh, this creative is really effective. But is anyone actively, you know, making a really good case for it to their CFO? I think that's that's one thing we, we have to be conscious of. Um, in terms of your question of how are we measuring it? I think, you know, there are tools you can use you, and, you know, you can use um, share of search is quite a good, you know, because I think the challenge and, and I've certainly faced this in my business is when you're a smaller business, the amount of re budget you can allocate to brand research is going to be pretty small, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it's, 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 it's really hard to make the case unless you have a, a management team or a board who are you know, actively predisposed to to wanting to do that, a lot of your budget is going to have to go on execution and, and program spend. Um, so you have to look at are there other ways you can do it? And I think share, share of search is a, a strong one. And actually, in other ways, so, uh, you know, I've been recently working with uh, the, 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 the CEO on a sort of a longer term marketing strategy. And one of, you know, in support of my general case that we need to invest more behind brand one of the data points i've shown them is um you have you know i talked earlier about a really strong linkage between organic traffic um you know quality visits to the website website visits to leads leads to opportunities now if you look at your organic traffic a large proportion of that it'll vary business to business but um um, it, it comes from branded search. So someone searching <clears throat> Demica plus supply chain finance or Demica plus, you know, trade receivable securitization or, you know, or just Demica. So yeah. for us, that that proportion at the moment is very high. So you've got to then work back to why do people search that in the first place? So what, what does branded search come from? It comes from mental availability, someone having Demica already in their head. So if you can show that, then show that, okay, well, when people already have Demica in their head, organic search goes up, we get more leads, we get more opportunities, we get more revenue. You then work back to, well, how do we get people Demica in people's heads mm. more? Well, that's brand, right? That's brand awareness, brand salience. And the data is kind of interesting, you know, in another way around branded search, because what we could pick out when we looked over the last 18 months is like this isn't just theoretical you can see the spikes of branded search around times where we were doing where we had a big press release where we were doing significant activity so again that that link between brand awareness activity and these weren't like you know people always talk how do you measure the value of pr well you can see there that the the press release the, the big press release we did at the start of the year around our assets under administration going up to 27 billion dollars doubled our num amount of organic traffic for the the couple of weeks that we were we were promoting it so again being able to then take that link and run it all the way through to more opportunities more revenue it's, it's quite a strong case because it, it's very database and it's sort of right there in front of you yeah well let's talk about your brand so you've come into Demica um you know you've got you have the reins how do you actually build up your brand you know 
because I think some people, well, hopefully not the people listening, but I think a lot of people, particularly in other departments, sometimes think of brand as things like, you know, logos and fonts and uh, strap lines and things like that. But obviously a brand really is much more sophisticated than that. And it actually plays out across every single customer touchpoint. So at Demica, how have you gone about trying to shape that brand and, and make its sort of brand purpose really clear? Um, I mean, that that's a, a really good question. And it was something that was very high on my list. You know, I talked about some of the areas where we really invested. Brand, brand was another one. Um, and the investment was partly, you know, financial in terms of where we spent our budget, but it was also just resource in, intensive. Um, so about six months in, we into my time at Demica, we we started an exercise to look at a brand refresh, and that wasn't driven by, you know, I think I've I've heard of that thing of you know a new head of marketing, a new CMO comes in, and they want to do a brand refresh because yeah. they want to put their stamp on it. I had no real interest in doing a brand re- refresh, but my problem was every time I referenced some branded language or some imagery or even our our lockup, our our, our tagline. I got different perspectives from people on whether we should use it or why we should use it or mm. whether it was accurate. And my reaction was, this this can't work. Like th- you can't develop a consistent, as you say, a consistent vision, tone of voice, presence of, in the market or internally for your for your own people, right? Like you need that's a really important function of brand. So th- there was clearly a mismatch between where our brand was at and and where we were at as an organization. So that precipitated a, a, a brand refresh project. Um, and that, I think the way that we did that to sort of ensure it was effective was that didn't happen. That wasn't a marketing, it was led by me, but it wasn't a marketing initiative. That was myself, the chief commercial officer, the chief product officer, the CEO, like, and, and you know, a, a, probably about half of the management team were involved in terms of uh, a high level and then people from within the organization were uh, also involved because I think our starting point for it was as you say not really about logo or color scheme or look and feel and I think uh, this will be pretty obvious to a lot of people on the uh, listening I was about to say on the call again come on on the wireless yeah (laughs) come on (laughs) um it would be obvious to a lot of people listening um that um you know the starting point was really who are we as as an organization what is our value add in the world and you know there's a lot of debate about purpose in marketing at the moment but for me purpose was just our why not not purpose in an esg Mm. you know sustainability uh csr sense but just a why do we exist you know if we there must be some way in which we make our customers lives better otherwise we wouldn't have a commercial proposition so what is that boil it down to something really concise and then build that out into all the different ways that we need to to activate it and and sort of spread it out across the organization if we have a core brand purpose a core vision for the world and our why then how does that turn into our visual identity? How does that turn into what we sound like? How does that turn into what we look like on our website? How does that turn into our internal communications? How does that turn into our customer support communications and 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 and, and spread it out through the organization? And I think we we got to a really good point and the past sort of couple of years since that point has been an effort to try and use that as a framework build on it and also spread it through the through the company because i I had a very strong 
awareness that at that point with a team of four and in an organization of as it was then but it was about 200 people it's now 300 um you know we were never going to be able to drive a brand's success within the team we had to have people across the business believing in it feeling in it Mm. feeling like it represented them and then sort of organically it becomes the tone of voice it becomes what people say and how they talk about it so I think we've done that really well and I I don't think that's just you know when I say that I'm not just crediting myself (laughs) I think I think the business has done that really well at understanding the value and understanding basically as you say what a brand is it's it's a unifying view of the world and a unifying way that you want people to view you right mm. it's what you know what people say about you when you're out of the room like that is that that that's your brand and um i think i think we're getting to a good point you know lots of lots of road to run on it but um but I, i'm really pleased with the progress there yeah so we've spoken about some of the sort of theory behind brand building um in terms of actually getting your brand out there do you, I'm just interested to know, you know, what do you, how do you feel that B2B can kind of compete in the same space as B2C? Because obviously nowadays, you know, I'm getting the same adverts for Salesforce uh, on the same device that I'm getting adverts for, um, you know, Anandos, and yeah. I know which one I'm going for. <laughs> um, so do you think that B2B has to almost become a bit more fun, a bit more attention grabbing in its brand? To, a bit to really more compete? spicy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um... I think, you know, the 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 woman in my team who now leads on brand and design and she's she is excellent and she used a phrase which I think again, she's a bit younger than me and she's probably is more common with the kids, but the principle of stop the scroll, like I think is a really effective almost trigger or cue or like, you know, mental little hack to think of when you're creating content, particularly in smaller B2B organizations where a lot of your media buy is paid linkedin or is 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 channels where you know you're not you're not doing big mass media so it's it's is channels where you're interrupting someone's activity largely on their phone um and i think in that sense as you say we have to think outside of a b2b box you know you have to think about what is properly going to grab someone's attention what is actually going to stop the scroll and it doesn't mean you have to your messaging has to be exactly like um uh, Nando's or, or any B2C um, company but I think it, it it means that you have to think about what would stop you in your tracks mm. when you were scrolling through social media so you know there's there's good B2B marketing organizations who do stop my scroll because they have something that I'm like oh I am looking into that right now I do want to learn a bit about that I'm going to download that white paper or I do remember that brand it's a brand called Directive and not not don't work with them at all but they keep appearing on my um, social media feed. They're a software as a service agency. We spoke to them a while ago. They have effective creative. It does. It does stop my scroll. And, and I haven't. There isn't a really a CTA on it, so I haven't. I haven't taken action. But in terms of brand building effectiveness, it's very strong. And I'm, I, I'm not not a paid promotion or anything. Um, um, although if they want to do some pro bono work for us, I'll, I'll take that. Um, but but I think that principle of yeah think about grabbing people's attention and you know in our space like finance fintech it is i mean visually creatively conservative and conservative is a i'm using polite wording there like there that is you know both a challenge in the sense that gosh you need to break out of that but what an opportunity right like 
if if everything else is really visually conservative then it doesn't take much creatively to suddenly be look like a really stand out really stand out and really look like a uh, uh, a creative organization and 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 like i said stop the scroll whereas obviously in a b2c context the create the standard of creative is because it's so embedded into how they do advertising is very high and everyone is constantly investing in trying to stand out so i think that's more challenging and in a way it's kind of an exciting opportunity that we're actually look, doing as i said with my 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 head of design at the moment we're, we're we're spending a lot of time looking at that because we think we've got a real chance to actually yeah stand out a bit more because everyone is using a pale blue or a gradient or a sort of the image of the globe with the lines going <laughs> around it like you know and and um and i think you know that if that's your basis then you you can do something cool yeah i completely agree and to our um, listeners at home um if this has got you thinking about some of your own super creative campaigns um why not enter the b2b marketing awards uh, submissions are now open and will close on the 16th of June. So if you do want to put yourself forward uh, for a prestigious industry and award um, and obviously a very good black tie evening as well, um, there's a link in the description with a bit more information. I can, I can, I can, ish, I can uh, confirm it is a fun evening, although there's a bit of a burn in there. As my team was nominated for B2B Marketing Team of the Year last year and we did not win. So I, I can I can both I can confirm Dave is not lying. It is a fun evening and I was there much later than I should have been. But um but uh yeah, slightly still still a bit a bit gutted about that. Um yeah. that loss. and for everyone at home, Dan has just slid a brown envelope across the table <laughs> to me. Um so good luck this year. Um so my final question, Dan, then I think we'll we'll start to wrap it up. Um you know, many marketers that I speak to talk about the importance of setting aside at least some budget for trying new things, even if it's you know five percent or something, just to experiment. Um, and you know, and these things might not necessarily prove any return on investment, but that, you know they're worth trying anyway. It could be ChatGPT; that's the big one at the minute. But there's mm -hmm. obviously tons of other sort of technologies and, and ideas out there. So let's say you've got five percent of your overall budget just to play with as a marketer. Um, the CFO, CEO don't care it's free money so to speak um what strategies technologies or ideas would you be playing with that is a good question so i mean ai like you said is is the big one at the moment i i must admit you know i i've been using chat gpt both in professional and personal life a little bit um because i think it's it's interesting and I can see how you could drive some like real efficiencies, right? And you know, my team use it, my my BD team use it to start to drive temp, create templates for sort of um, outbound emails as a starting point. I think on that note, and I'm sure everyone is doing the same thing. You quickly realise that it's a good starting point, but it's it's not mm. your end point, and there's a lot of um, there is a lot of work to do there. I think what is a bit more interesting, actually, and I've seen uh, sort of a little bit of work around this is um, visual, like visual AI stuff. So there's an interesting company doing um, uh, um, AI based um, like PowerPoint design, mm -hmm. things like that. And I think, you know, that for me, because we have basically one designer in the organization, our, our head of design, who, as I, as I mentioned earlier, is really strong and really sort of creative, but gets pulled in a, a hundred different directions because she's really good and because, and mm. because we don't have much um, resource there and people see her doing good work. And I would say about 
10 to 15% of the stuff she works on really challenges her and is really is really useful um i think the the other uh, the other you know 90 85 90% i think is stuff that you could easily be like okay let's set a few parameters let's set a few rules and let's you know create some stuff that let people sort of self-serve and like that's a massively sort of not particularly operator not particularly exciting operational thing but you can see how my brain works in terms of managing resource within the team but like i think that thing for me with ai just you know the way you've mentioned it is where are your where are you like tight for resource where are you where are you struggling for like efficiency and what could it help with and for me that that's just such an obvious one that i'm like Yes, you can do it to an extent through templates, but the ability of people to self-serve through AI, you know, it's like, yes, you can template a script, but if you can actually give your organization an opportunity to not template, but just write in some things, and then it sort of serves up something based on your look and feel, based on your style, that to me is pretty exciting, would save my team a ton of time, allow us to maintain a level of creative control, but also, you know, give people the ability to sort of do it themselves. So, um... I think that that that's an exciting thing for um, for um, AI, and then more broadly, just very quickly, because uh, I know I'm I'm going on now. But um, I think given free reign, investment in creative generally, mm. like I think I've sort of talked about it a lot. But like there is it, there's some data out there, you know, B two B Institute, um, some of the work that System One's doing, and there's some there's some strong a- academic work around the effectiveness of good creative but it's still kind of hard to draw the link and justify to your cfo why you need to spend more money on getting that design really popping and but i think marketers good marketers and 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 a lot of people generally know that when something looks good when design is creative when something emotionally gets to you the the level of the differential in terms of the impact is huge so like given that five percent just to go no one's going to judge you on roi on this nothing's going to be measured invest it there and I, I think that that would be my 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 sort of free free shot moonshot or whatever and, and see what i could do fantastic well dan thank you very much for joining me today and uh, thank you to all of our wonderful listeners at home as always um thanks and we'll see you again soon cheers dave thanks for having me 